good evening. Well, many times on this show I've said Starmer's big problem is he's got no ideas. There's no big initiative. And whilst he may not be Jeremy Corbyn and he may be safe, he needs to actually say something. Well, of course, as we know, he's been off on his holes for the last couple of weeks. But overnight, boy, has he broken cover. He's been in London, he's been in Edinburgh, he's been in Exeter. And the big new idea... Oh, by the way, it's not really his big new idea, because Sir Ed Davey came out with it some weeks ago, the leader of the Liberal Democrats. But the big sell, the big idea, is that the cap of £1,971 for the maximum of a household fuel bill, he's going to keep that cap for a period of at least six months. And that's going to save the average household more than £1,000. How's he going to pay for it? Well... He'll be doing away with Rishi's £400 handout to households. He's also going to change the tax system, which allows oil and gas giants tax concessions if they reinvest in the North Sea. So what do we make of what he said? Well, I'll tell you what it does have going for it. Sheer simplicity. People know that's the cap and it's staying for at least six months. It also deals, I think, in the short term, with the great fear genuine fear that millions of households have got, and we've seen guesstimates suggesting that up to half of households in Britain will not be able to pay their bills by the end of this year. And almost unbelievably, a YouGov opinion poll suggests that up to three-quarters of Conservative voters like the idea. Now, what are the downsides? What if it's just for six months and it's going to cost £29 billion? What could it cost if it goes on for one year or two years? And the very last thing we should be doing is discouraging big companies from investing in this country. After all, wouldn't we rather become energy self-sufficient at some point in time? So there are downsides to the plan. And very often, governments intervening in markets, attempting to set prices ends in disaster. Though it's worth remembering that the whole concept of a price cap was, of course, yet another great legacy from that wonderful Prime Minister, Theresa May. But whilst Boris Johnson holds summits in Downing Street that reach no conclusions whatsoever and then goes away on holiday yet again, and whilst Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak tear chunks out of each other, actually Nobody on the Conservative side is offering any real answers. And I would criticise all of them for barely talking about supply at all. All anyone's talking about are prices. They appear to be unconcerned that the lights might go out in February. But I put it to you that in terms of political initiative, Keir Starmer has seized the advantage at a moment when this government looks completely and utterly rudderless. And I think, in political terms alone, for now, Keir Starmer has got this right. Tell me what you think. Farage at gbnews.uk. Well, joining me to discuss this is Lee Anderson, Conservative Member of Parliament for Ashfield. Lee, you represent a constituency that is not one of the wealthiest in this country. A lot of people, I'm guessing, pretty scared about what's to come. I think they are, Nigel, and, you know, on paper, this looks like a good deal for the British public. I'm sure the people of Ashfield will welcome this. In the short term, mm -hmm. look at their bills, they're struggling to pay their bills, and they're thinking, you know, this is going to save us a £1,000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a little bit of a contract as well. Um, I think we need to be honest. I think Sakir needs to be honest with, with the, uh, the hard-working taxpayer in places like Ashfield that somewhere along the line, these companies, the government, is going to get this money back somehow. It's not going to help people in the long term, but in the short term, yes, 
it looks good, it looks attractive, it might help them, but does it actually reduce the price of gas? Does it? Well, it reduced... No, it doesn't reduce the wholesale price exactly. of gas. Of course it doesn't, and it wouldn't reduce what factories yeah. are having to pay for energy or yeah. any of those things, and I get that, yeah. I buy that, I fully understand yeah. that. But when you think about it, our national debts now run up to two trillion. <laughs> What's another 30 billion? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, you could say that. But is it the answer, though, Nigel? Like I say, the, uh, the, wholesale, well, I... the wholesale price of gas is still going to be the same, or it's going to rise even more. Look, it's a fool's world in economic terms, yeah. and I get that. The argument I'm making, and you've you just, just heard me make, yeah. is that in political terms, this Labour leader, who, frankly, has appeared to be out of any ideas, has come up with something yeah. that short-term hit in terms of reaction from your voters is very positive. And, and can you tell me what, Riz or, what, what, what Rishi or Liz are offering? Well, you're right, it's great politics. You know, this, this will win votes. This is very appealing for the British public. I like it, it's gonna make, you know, make my life easier, make my parents' life easier, make the, uh, the residents in Ashfield uh, life easier. And I think Rishi, and, we, and we've got this as well in the, in the leadership um, election, which, by the way, I think people are getting a little bit fed up of at the moment. They're talking about well, putting more people... Uh, why are we not getting a result <laughs> to the 5th of September? Can you tell me? Well, I think I know the result, Nigel, already. I think, Do you? Yeah, I think, I think Liz is going to win. And you're happy about that? Yes, I, I am. I mean, as you probably know, I back Kemi from, from the offset. There's, there's two names on the ballot paper now. I think Liz is the one to, right. to, to drive forward. Well, well, it's great to hear this. So tell me, please, what is Liz going to do for people's energy? Well, bonds? I did mention to Liz when, when I spoke to her a few weeks back about fracking. Um, I think it's an national disgrace that this great country of ours sat on coal, sat on gas, surrounded by fish, as, as somebody once said many, no, many years no, ago. No, Evan famously. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> Evan famously said that. And actually, we're importing this stuff. It's, it's an absolute scandal. Lee, I agree with you 100%. You know, I want to take Farage at large out yeah. around the country, wherever we go, and I talk about the idea we should be self-sufficient in energy, yeah. produce tens of thousands of well-paid jobs yeah. rather than importing all this stuff. People agree. You know, yes. Labour people, Tory people agree. But right now, right now, Liz Truss, when it comes to price, yeah. I'm taking you at your word, yeah. but it's all over. All over by the shouting. Yeah, yeah. Liz is going to be PM. We know what Keir Starmer's got on the table. What is Liz Truss saying about well, people's bills? Well, she's talking about the green levy on fuel. Yes, that's got to come off. VAT's got to come off. Absolutely. But really, Nigel, that place over there needs to apologise to the people of this country. For the past 30 or 40, even 50 years in this country, our energy policy has been absolutely useless. We've closed our mines. We've refused to frack. We're now dependent on foreign fuel. And hey, presto, you know, 40, 50 years later, we're scratching our heads thinking, why is gas well, so expensive? A, you as a former miner say yep. that with more passion than most people in this debate I, it, possibly could. But frankly, when it comes to people's bills, she's not offering that much, is she? <laughs> it, where does it come from, Nigel? It's taxpayers' money. What Keir's, Sir Keir's offer today looks very attractive, and to the people in Ashford, like I say, it looks very, very attractive. But at the end of the day, it is a little bit of a contract, because where's the money coming from? It's coming from the great British public again. So, Ultimately, yes. You know, no. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. I get that. Final thought, Lee Anderson. Some of the comments from Team Rishi about Liz over the weekend have been pretty vicious. I know uh, it's a contest and yeah. all of that. Do you actually think, after the eight or nine months the Conservative Party has put the country through, where it's been much, much more concerned about itself yeah. than it has about, it, about your constituents yeah. and other people, do you actually think this autumn it's going to come together as a unified force and start giving us some leadership? I think they will. Uh, it's not been nice, Nigel, the blue-on-blue blue attacks. I don't like it. Uh, you know, I've always been taught that criticising private, praising public, that's my, you know, sort of ethos. 
But I think we will come together in October. Sakir's come out with a corker today. It is. It's going to put us on the back foot. We need to be. We need to be positive. We need to be strong. Uh, uh, you know, not uh, not kowtow to Sakir and, and, and this Venezuelan type socialist policies because that's what it is. <laughs> no, that's what but, it is. But Lee Anderson, clear spoken as you always are. Short term, it's a corker. It's a corker. Thank you very much indeed yeah. for joining us here on GB News. And yeah, that I think is going to be the reaction until people really study this, really drill down into it. As I say, it's 29 billion just for six months, but six months simply wouldn't be enough. But hey, as I said earlier, I've criticised again and again Keir Starmer for not producing any proper red meat for the electorate. But I think John McTurnan, former political secretary Tony Blair, he might just have done something today. I think this is, as Lee said... A you look very happy. Of course. <laughs> um, and as you said in your introduction, yeah. it's so simple. Mm. People know what they'll get, which is no increase. And that relieves so many people. And I think I've met so many people, you must have, who are starting to worry how could they pay all their bills. And people don't want to not pay bills. So this is put the weights on the energy companies... And the energy companies apparently have only got friends in the two leadership candidates in the Tory party who don't want to increase the windfall tax, who don't want to get money from the energy companies uh, to help pay for this. So, yeah, I think Keir Starmer is driving the agenda now, and um, it really is over till is now. Yeah, I mean, Gordon Brown's idea was to do it all through the benefit system, which yeah. looked, to me, desperately complicated. Mm, now, yeah. Full marks for simplicity. But the idea that you actually disincentivise companies to reinvest in the mm. North Sea. That doesn't make any sense, John, does it? Well, the North Sea is going through a big change. We have got lots of miners coming in to take over from the majors. Um, I don't think this will inhibit the forward planning. I think everybody in the energy companies knows they've been making windfalls and they want in, to give in, it back. In, in 2020, to... some of them lost quite a lot of money. But over the... Uh, yeah, in the pandemic, lots of people lost money. Um, but now they're going to have to play, play their part in making sure that the voters get through Christmas, get through winter, and not worried. And let's hope this makes the, the hit on uh, inflation that they, looks like it could make. And let's hope that actually we do open up some of the other forms of uh, fuel that we could be using. I'm, I'm with Lee and probably with you. I'm for fracking. I think mm. there's all kinds of ways we could get uh, domestic energy going, but I'm also for, for, for onshore wind. So I think what we have to have is a dash for a whole, whole set of things, insulation, other forms of energy. But for today, this is Keir's day. Is this the start of a more decisive Keir Starmer? Or is it just Keir Starmer's nicked a great policy <laughs> of Sir Ed Daly of the Liberal Democrats and on all the other things, such as supply, about which he said nothing today? You know, is it the same old Keir Starmer, or does this mark? A step change. So I, I think, and I've said, uh, I think about Keir, and I've said to you before, he's spent the first two years clearing up the Corbyn mess, the Corbyn legacy, that terrible defeat in 2019, and he's like a great politician. He's made his luck. He's got to this point, and he's now. It's the next second half of this uh, of, of this parliamentary term for him. Is what's the vision? He's given us a big idea here. I'm expecting more big ideas at the Labour Party conference. I think because this is the conference you've got to show. These are our ideas for, and in 2023 we'll campaign on them, in 2024 you'll get a vote on them. So this bodes well for the thinking that's going on. Well, on the front it's bench. one idea. Nah. I mean, no, 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 I'm, listen, I'm giving credit. One swallow, uh, but it might well be something. No, he seized the initiative mm -hmm. for today and probably actually for the next few days. Oh, yeah, I think until, until 
Liz, Liz Truss, who I think we all assume is going to be the next Prime Minister, until she comes up with something solid, this idea now defines the response to the energy crisis. But yeah, well, it may, it may provide short-term relief for the terrible fear that millions have got mm. about their bills. But what it doesn't do is anything <clears throat> for supply. And it's very interesting, and I would criticise both parties mm. on this, Hedin Massans, I think they've both pursued terrible energy policies over the last few decades. We actually faced the prospect, John McTernan, of the lights going out in well, February. I mean, and he's, as yet, had nothing to say on this. To, yeah, to, be, to, be, to be fair to both sides, uh, since, the, since 2006, 2007, there's been bipartisan support for nuclear power, but Fukushima really messed up the financing uh, of power. And it's been very hard to get an alternative financing model and to get people to come in and actually build the reactors here. I think nuclear is a huge part of the future. I think renewables. But I think Keir Starmer said this morning, he's been saying through the day, home insulation for the, the 11 million households who actually uh, have got poor insulation in their homes. That's jobs for workers, that's jobs for people in Leeds constituency, and it's lower bills per permanently in Leeds constituency as well. So I think we have to see more of those ideas coming out too, where there are win-win-win. But at the moment, Keir must be happy tonight. Final thought, what are we going to hear from Sir Keir on the Channel Migrant Crisis? Uh, well, if I was advising him, I would say, straightforward, all processing should happen in France. Processing, quick decisions. If, you're, if you have the right to be in Britain, come to Britain. If you don't, well, you're still in France. Be very interesting to see what he does. John McTernan, thank you very much indeed for coming in. And yes, you can tell Labour today are really very happy. So we'll give them their moment in the sun, because at least they've had something to say. But whether it actually deals, genuinely deals, with any of the real problems, I'm not so sure. And a friend of this programme, somebody who has sat with me for some time, more or less since the show started actually, warning about the huge impending problems that were coming down the line, Clive Moffat, independent energy analyst and, of course, former chair of the UK Energy Security Group. Clive, let's start with supply. I mean, it was very interesting last week. We had the summit with the Chancellor, the Business Secretary, the Prime Minister, the boss of E.ON, the mm -hmm. boss of Ofgem, a sort of 15 or 16 point resume of the meeting. The only thing, the only thing it said about supply was we encourage long term investment in the North Sea. Sakir today, yes, he's talked about pricing and we perhaps will go into that. Is anybody in Westminster worried that the lights might go out? Well, if we were to believe some comments, yes, um, but it's not being taken, I don't think, seriously enough. I mean, if you just take a step back, what is the role of government in energy policy? What should it be? And it's a question that politicians keep avoiding. And I would say it's not about controlling production and controlling prices. What it's about is creating a framework within which the market can deliver both reliable supply and also affordable prices. We've had a lot about prices. Mm -hmm. We've had nothing about security of supply. Uh, we have a medium and we're long and short of term solution. I mean, we have things we could do short term um, in terms of um, encouraging the reopening of, 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 of the rough gas storage facility, for example. Because we have having... two, is it two days gas storage? No, those discussions are taking place, I understand, between Centrica and government. It requires a price of course, to reopen, mm -hmm. not insignificant. There are other issues such as short term about um, having a auction system so that major gas users can actually decide to come offline before a blanket um, uh, gas emergency is announced. 
This is all short term stuff. And there's also the possibility of changing the notices period that apply to gas emergencies and gas alerts. Um, on the electricity front, similar kind of precautions could be made in terms of electricity supply. And what we haven't had at all is any kind of public um, information program being put out by government about what ordinary things, not scaremongering, but what ordinary sensible things people could do to help curtail overall demands for both gas and electricity. You put out last week on Conservative Home your sort of rescue package plan and ideas and it got lots of chat and circulation it did. on Conservative Home and out in the media more broadly and you're an expert in this field. How much pickup did you get from elected politicians in the Conservative Party? Very few um, in the sense that it, it, there's almost like a policy paralysis and a reluctance to talk about the sorts of issues. What kind of policy do we need? Only recently, Rishi Sunak has come out and said, I'm going to make energy more secure. I'd like to know what that means. Um, we'd like something more coherent, more strategic. Uh, both short-term and medium-term. For example, uh, in today's announcement, there's nothing about supply. In fact, on the contrary, if Labour's plan were to be implemented, even more taxation on major investors, who we yeah, want to absolutely. invest in gas storage absolutely. and in gas supply fracking and also North Sea, would be deterred. And what would happen to... I mean, it sounds good, but the, it would take longer than six months. The volatility in wholesale prices is going to continue beyond that point. And it's the great British public or the consumers are going to have to actually spend money, actually going to have to pay for this because uh, it's essentially underpinning suppliers, and, but it's consumers who will eventually have to pay either through a higher energy costs or taxation. And this could go on for 10, 15 years. So it's a very dangerous precedent to intervene in the energy market retail, especially when you don't control wholesale prices and try and use it as a tool for welfare policy. Yeah. What we should do is focus on the very people who need it uh, and use the welfare system, the universal credit system. It not, should not be beyond the capability of Treasury and the DWP to come up with some form of energy support payment model, you know, system, which could actually allow people on demand to effectively get the grants. I'm talking grants, not loans. Yeah, I mean, what Starmer's done today is a sort of big blanket thing, but it does have simplicity and reduce people's fears yes, without I mean, really solving yeah, the problem. Yeah, but we have confusion at the moment. We have intervention, <clears throat> intervention in the general market through VAT and through so-called rebates on suppliers' prices at £400. And then we have uh, Rishi, as Sunak has said, is going to have a separate £650 within the credit system. I would eff effectively take away all those general blanket things which benefit all consumers and target it much more specifically at what could well be two million households who are really going to be suffering in the next six or months more. Or more. and give them grants and give them directly through the credit system, through the universal credit system, or through the direct system that could be available. We've did it under the pandemic. We can do it now. It would be, it's a bit like having a sort of a energy security payment app. But something needs to be done on that. But in the longer term, we have to address supply. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Clive, finally, as an energy expert, man that spent you know years in this field, 
when you look at our politicians and the way they've handled energy policy over the last few years, do you despair ever so slightly? Yes, I do. I was um, being asked and said, well, weren't you, we remember seeing you um, in deck before Bayes uh, arguing the case for energy security. Uh, that was 10 years ago, <laughs> along with... A, and one wonders, you know, uh, people say to me, well, why wasn't there more investment in security of supply as such? And I said, fundamentally, it was a reluctance to be seen to be doing anything to encourage investment in gas or fossil fuels. Yeah, because we were At going green. At the time, green. once the decarbonisation We were going green, was and yeah, and we were never going to need fossil fuels ever again, were we? Well, but now we're talking about fossil fuels. Well, let's talk about getting something off the ground. You know, let's have the cabinet secretary bringing in the candidates tomorrow, <coughs> yep. sitting around the table with officials. This is our precedence for this, as yep. you know, and saying, right, we need a plan so that whoever comes in in uh, September can actually endorse something. Well, I'm all for that, provided you're in the room. But Liz Truss and Liz Richard are not going to want to do we it. We need Clive Moffat in the room. There's no doubt about it, Clive, as ever. Thank you That's for coming kind. in and for being so frank. Well, we've debated Starmer's big idea with a Conservative politician, a Labour advisor and an energy expert. We've looked at this, I think, from all angles. Wasn't it interesting, though, for Lee Anderson, a Conservative MP, to admit that short-term, politically, what Starmer had done was a bit of a corker. What's your reaction? Well, Ian says, no, it's not a good idea. It's only six months long. And what happens after that? Well, Ian, my guess is that after six months, it's extended for another six months and then for a further year. And in the end, it'll cost the same as furlough. But what it is dealing with is the huge short-term fear that millions of people have got. And politically, if not economically, Politically, that is actually quite clever when the Conservative Party on this issue appear to be pretty much all over the place. Mark says, no, and who cares? He's not anywhere near government and hopefully never will be. Well, Mark, you just never know, do you? Ryan says, Keir Starmer is never right. Let's not forget, he campaigned for a second EU referendum and for Jeremy Corbyn to be PM. Ryan, he did, just as, just as Liz Truss, who we're told's a shoe-in, campaigned for Remain and then voted for Mrs May's sellout three times. So there you are, you pays your money, you takes your choice. One viewer says, why is he setting out plans for anything, seeing as he has no power? No, that's wrong. You know, the job of Her Majesty's loyal opposition is to set out an alternative framework for government, a different policy platform to hopefully give us a better level of national debate about the direction in which we're going. That is exactly what the opposition should be doing. And I think it's fair to say, honestly, that one of the ways that in which Labour have failed so completely is they've just not been putting out any ideas at all. Well, today they did, albeit one they nicked from the Liberal Democrats. Now, you may have seen over the weekend the number of people that have crossed the English Channel has passed the 20,000 mark, and it appears to be going up pretty rapidly. Over 600 came on Saturday, nearly 250 came yesterday. These are really very, very big numbers, and our Home Affairs and Security Editor, Mark White, has put together this package. 
Arriving at Dover Harbour overnight, the local lifeboat with 50 people on board who'd been detected crossing into UK waters on a small boat late into the night. These crossings, which just a year ago were predominantly happening early in the morning, are now taking place day and night. The times they cross are now more unpredictable. What is certain is that the numbers crossing are growing rapidly. 20,300 so far this year. That number is double what it was at this time last year. Within days, it'll hit 21,000. And with the exponential rise in the numbers arriving, is on course to easily more than double the 28,500 who crossed in the whole of last year. For the government, this is a deepening crisis ministers seem powerless to prevent. Since Boris Johnson announced a three-pronged plan in April to help tackle the small boat crisis, 15,000 people have crossed the channel. Plans to house up to 1,200 asylum seekers here in the Yorkshire village of Linton-on-Ouse have now been abandoned amid a huge public backlash. And proposals to send thousands of others to Rwanda for processing have been mired in legal challenges and are unlikely to happen anytime soon. Still, both candidates for the Tory leadership say they remain wedded to the Rwanda plan and would consider extending it to include other willing countries, providing they can overcome the legal difficulties. Mark White, GB News. Well, there you are. Every single policy this government has put in place to deal with the problem has been a complete, total and absolute failure. But there's something else going on in this country that I find really very, very alarming, even disturbing. On Friday, an immigration enforcement unit turned up on the outskirts of Greater Manchester and they were there, they went to a restaurant where there were two suspected illegal immigrants working in the restaurant. And what they were met with when they were seen in the area pretty much immediately were a series of tweets going out saying, come, please, and support. A group who call themselves Stand Up to Racism. And those of you that are watching this on television can see people sitting around the enforcement van. They turned out at short notice in very, very quick time. I mean, I'm surprised they weren't all at work, really, but there we are. Um, and it is extraordinary that Stand Up to Racism think that unless we have complete open borders and that anybody that wants to come to Britain, legally or illegally, can come, that in any way, if we enforce our borders, that somehow that is racist. I find this level of anarchic lawlessness really very, very strange. And it gets worse, of course, because this is not the first time this has happened. We've seen similar scenes in Deptford in South London, similar scenes in Glasgow, in Western Scotland. And do you remember, not long ago, that aeroplane that was at Heathrow Airport? Yup. October 2018, Yakub Ahmed was getting on a Turkish Airlines flight. It was leaving from Heathrow to go to Istanbul. And the plane all stood up and started shouting how wrong this was. And the man himself was screaming about being separated from his family. And in the end, he was taken off the plane. He wasn't deported to Turkey. And all the people on that plane must have felt how good 
and virtuous they are. Well, well done all of you. What a wonderful group of people you are. That individual had been convicted as a gang rapist who'd attacked a 16-year-old girl. And yet, there are forces in this country that think we want as many people like that as possible to come and live here. Frankly, I think the whole thing is a disgrace. I think these people have lost their minds. But somehow, behind it all, are people, almost a new enemy within, that would like and seek to destroy everything we've ever stood for as a nation. Happily, they are a tiny, tiny minority. Now, I'm still studying the Albanian situation. How many of the 900 that came at the weekend have come from Albania? I don't know. I'm still getting emails from you reporting the new Turkish barbershops that are opening up everywhere but actually are Albanian. We're going to keep digging. We're going to keep investigating. And while we're on the subject, in Carlisle this morning, a hotel that houses those that have come across the English Channel saw a protest. Yes, there we are. People there who are waiting for their immigration status to be confirmed, which means they absolutely are asylum seekers as opposed to genuine refugees. And there they are protesting on the roof of the hotel and they're protesting about living conditions. Yep, it just isn't good enough. They've got to have proper touchscreen TVs and no doubt well-stocked fridges too. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Now, I'm joined by Sue Reid, Special Investigations Editor at the Daily Mail. Uh, and Sue wrote a very powerful piece just a couple of days ago about her trip to Albania. Sue, we've, we've learned in recent times, and perhaps we're not that surprised, that huge numbers of those that come are young Albanian men. You've been to Albania. I suspect, I mean, I could be wrong, I suspect many of those that are coming are coming to work in the illegal economy in this country. What did you find out on your recent trip? I found out that uh, 400, uh, sorry, 200,000 Albanians are actually in Britain, which is what the official figures are for coming out of Albania. I found out that uh, out of a country that's only got 2.8 million people, uh, close on 7 or 8% uh, have left. And they started coming here during the Kosovo War, claiming to be Kosovans, which is why we've got 200,000 here now embedded. And they are the lure for the uh, youngsters who are coming now on the boats, which is one and four of everyone on those boats is now is now born. And so, you know, they're coming from a country that is a NATO member. They're coming from a country that is an EU applicant. They're coming from a country where British people go on holiday. They don't qualify in any classical definition of refugees at all. So we should be able to simply send them all back to Albania. And yet Theresa May left us with this legacy of the modern slavery act. Can you see any way that we're actually going to get around that? Well, do you realise what it means? It doesn't mean that they're uh, trafficked here or uh, are modern slaves there. This is all they claim. Once they face deportation, they claim uh, because they're working cannabis farms in the sex trade, they're pulled into the black market. Uh, they then claim 
that they've been trafficked within this country, picked up and over by one of their own traffickers, taken to a cannabis farm where they're treated as modern slaves. So it's, it's not about being trafficked across uh, from Albania to here. It's, it's, it's what right. they claim it's been happening in Britain because they enter the black market and then face these things. I mean, it's uh, duplicitous to say the it most politely. And by the way, very few are deported. I have pictures on my mobile phone right here now uh, of somebody who's been deported twice, who I've got pictures of at a Cornwall five-star hotel playing golf only 10 days ago. So, so they're really using everything, the they're work. clinging on once they get here to get out. So you keep up the good work. We're going to keep having you on this programme. Great work you do for the Daily Mail in exposing the truth. Thank goodness there are at least some in the British press that want to do that. Now, apparently unconcerned with the migrant crisis, unconcerned with the energy crisis, is our Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who, shortly back from holiday in Slovenia, is now off on holiday in Greece. And he was photographed, as he would be, I suppose, being who he is, stocking up in a Greek supermarket over the course of the weekend. And, you know, there's our Prime Minister, for those watching on telly, loading up. Um, you know, surely, given the absolute vacuum of power, of leadership in this country, he should be here, given the upcoming problems the country faces. And surely he's got time after the 5th of September to take as long a holiday as he possibly wants. I'm told that British people who were there in that supermarket and in the area were pretty angry to see him. It's Talking Pines, and I'm joined... I think it's the first television interview, Jodie Marsh, that you've done for... Oh, about six years. Well, I'm very honoured to have you on. <laughs> Thank you very Cheers. much for being here. <laughs> Cheers. Ooh. Now, it is a fascinating story. You know, girl at Brentwood School... Yeah. ...doing really well. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Much, I went, I went much, to the... better, much better grades than I got, <laughs> I can tell you. I did. I went to the best private school ever, and then I became a lap dancer. <laughs> but, I mean, you had the grades. Yeah. You could have gone on. You were thinking about becoming a lawyer. Yeah. So you were clever. You had it all yeah. going for you. Yeah. And you become a lap dancer. What I happened? Oh, I don't know. No, I just don't know. <laughs> No, I, I got offered a job. I, I used to go to Stringfellows on a night out and uh, I was sitting in there one night and somebody said, um, why do you keep coming here for a night out? Uh, you should work here. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah, you can make a fortune. And so I said, well, how much are we talking? And he said, oh, you could make, um, I think he said at the time, about £2,000 a week or something like that. Anyway, I ended up working there. I made about ten grand a week. Ten grand a week. <laughs> so I was like... It's great fun. <laughs> Unbelievable. And you go yeah. on from that, and it's the sun, of course. Page three was yeah. just, I mean, mega in those days, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, huge, yeah. Yeah, what, loved what you, it. When you look back at that, there's yeah. a lot of criticism now, isn't there? Because yeah. the sun doesn't do page three anymore. Yeah. And we're told, we're told this is objectifying women, and it's yeah. demeaning, and it's awful, and it shows how dreadful men are. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of oh, that debate? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, they ban the lads' mags. It's ridiculous. Do you know that group of women that got together to try and ban the lads' mags? All they actually did was put women out of work. Because not only us, the glamour models, right, but 
most of the staff working on those shoots were female. My yeah. hairstylist, my makeup artist, the photographer was female, the art director, the stylist for the clothes. So, you know, we were like one big family on the lads' mags, and, yeah, they just put women out of a job. And you don't... So you don't think it was demeaning? No. You were doing it of your own free will? I was exploiting the men. They were paying to see me. If you go on holiday now to, say, France... Yep. You will 100% somewhere there see a woman topless on the beach. Yep. Yeah? For free. Yeah. They paid a fortune to see my boobs. Well, <laughs> well we're putting it, folks, I suppose. No, well, it's. I exploited I mean, them. No, this is the free market in action, I guess. <laughs> uh, Jodie, you, you, your career kept on going through all of this, and it's yeah. reality TV and all of those things that you did. Um, did you enjoy doing TV? Yes. I loved it, absolutely loved it. But now I'm doing what I was always meant to do. So, yeah, and we're going to come to yes, that in a so minute. So I loved the TV, absolutely yeah. loved every no, second we're gonna of come it. No, we're going to come to um, what you're doing now. You did. But, yeah. And then suddenly you decide that you're going to become a bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah. How does that happen? Oh, that was fun. That was so fun. No, I just, I just got obsessed with the gym. It was as simple as that. I just, I started getting fit and training. Um, loved it, had a few friends who did bodybuilding and competed and just thought, do you know what, I want to do that. And I basically went to Discovery Channel and I said, listen, I'm going to do this, I'm going to compete as a bodybuilder, whether you film it or not, but if you want to film it, you can. And they went, yes, please. <laughs> so we made a documentary yeah. and one documentary turned into another and another and before I knew it, I'd made about 26 documentaries for them. And you won a gold medal at the sort of... I won. I was a champion of America. Yes. Yeah, I won the IMBF champion of America in bodybuilding. So, massive achievement. Massive. But you were a big role model to a lot of people. Well, you were mega famous. And yeah. You, I know you'd chosen that life and you were mega yeah. famous. Is bodybuilding actually a good thing for people to do? Um, short term. So you can't maintain that body all year round for years and years and years. It's very unhealthy, yeah. very unhealthy. People think you look... Well, you do look amazing, but it's not healthy to maintain that. Um, it's a lot of dieting. It's a lot of weird food. Um, it, obviously, it's a lot of working out. Uh, the working out part's good for you, the exercise, yeah. but the diet's not. It's not healthy to maintain And what about you, because you bulk up a huge amount of muscle yeah. doing it. What happens when you stop bodybuilding? Um... Well, you sort of just put on weight like I have now. <laughs> sort of just get... I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> sort of just get curvy and more voluptuous. <laughs> yeah, I just sort of worry whether bodybuilding is a good thing or whether it's no, not it, a good No, it is thing. good, as long as you just... Yeah. You know, it's like anything. Don't, don't take it to the extreme. Do it like I did. Do a few competitions yeah. and then eat normally. For, now, you've for never been sure, before we come to your great passion at the yeah. moment, you've never been short of an opinion. No. You've always been happy on Twitter and elsewhere yeah. to say what you think. So yeah. I thought we'd, uh, I thought we'd uh, go through a sort of quick-fire round of, cool. current, of current affairs Love questions. Go on. <laughs> Was it right that Boris went as Prime Minister? Uh, no. I think he needs to come back properly, come back, kick them other two out and sort... Right, so you, feel, you, you, you think the Tory party have lost well, the nerve? Do, do you know what I actually think? I think you should be Prime Minister. That's ah, a fact. That's, well. that's my actual answer. Yeah. So, scrap right. Boris, I think you should be Prime Minister. Right. Well, and, and it annoys me that you're not. No, well, I'm an outsider, you oh, see. I know, I'm but an outsider. you would sort this country out. All right, that's very out. sweet of you. Joe Biden, is it great to have him as leader oh, of the free world? Jesus, don't get me started on that. <laughs>
that. I am horrified about that. Listen, I don't care who knows it. I am pro-Trump, right? Bring Trump back. Trump did more for America than any president in living years. And final current affairs yeah. round question. We've seen this big debate going on about trans athletes. This is yeah. men who yeah. go through puberty with a male body yeah. and then want to go swimming or yeah. play whatever sport. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I, I don't think that... Um, I think there should be a separate category for trans. I don't think they should... Uh, women who used to be men should not be allowed to compete in women's... Mm. Races because because naturally you know bi biology tells us that men are stronger and faster and all the rest of it. You know I'm never going to beat a man in a running race ever. Not ever. I mean mostly because of my enormous uh, boobs that would yeah, knock yeah, me yeah. out. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah no separate categories. Now the new passion the new Jodie yes. Marsh thing. It appears that up in Northern Essex mm -hmm. you are building a modern day equivalent of it. Not that it is raining these days, but it's almost like a modern Noah's Ark. Yes. So come on, tell us all about it. So um, during COVID lockdown, um, I've said all my life, my whole entire life since I was a child, I will have an animal sanctuary one day where I, I will rescue animals that need a home. Um, and during COVID lockdown, my mum sadly passed away and also, of course, the whole country was in lockdown. Mm. And it just made me realise that life's too short. And I, kept, and I thought to myself, why am I waiting to do this? This is my life's dream. So I just started it. And uh, it's called Fripps Farm. That's yep. uh, Fripps, F-R-I double P-S. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I just gave it a name. Uh, but it's, I've now got over 250 animals wow. on the farm. And these are rescues? They're all rescues. So they're um, animals that would be dead now if it wasn't for me. Yeah. So sheep that would have gone to slaughter, pigs that would have gone to slaughter, you know, just basically anything. Um, lots of animals that came to me with injuries that I um, sort of rehabilitated and got them better. Uh, you know, a reptile that came to me on death's door, literally the vet said he will not make it. Now he's thriving. Um, yeah, I've got emus, owls. <laughs> but with the, cost, with the cost of living crisis, there may well be lots more people who can't afford their pets. Yes, a lot of them have come to me for that reason. Yeah, a bet. lot of them. No, I've got three llamas that the guy said to me, I did not realise yeah, how much yeah, yeah. it cost to feed them. Yeah. I rely, I'm going to do a massive plug for myself here, but I rely on the public to help me. And I have an Amazon wish list. And basically, if, if the public didn't buy animal food off that, I don't think I'd be able to do no. it. No, no. Well, listen, it's so... clearly a passion. Now, one of the golden rules of television: <laughs> never, ever, ever get live <laughs> animals on television, especially in a TV set. But then Joni Marsh has never, ever, ever obeyed any rules, so there was no point in even <laughs> pretending or trying to get her to behave. So we have a guest. We um, do. John, your dad's about to bring My on a dad, guest. My dad. This is Daddy Marsh. Thank you. <laughs> oh, there. So this now... is maybe. A meerkat. Very good. Mabel is Mabel is tiny. She's a baby. She's uh, twelve weeks old. Yep. Um, she came to me. She needs basically twenty-four hour round the clock care. She came to me um, six weeks ago. Well, she was just sort of abandoned, basically. She, or? her mum, um, meerkats aren't good mums. They're not good mums. And she had a brother that died, and so the woman that had her didn't have the time to dedicate to giving her the 24-hour round-the-clock care. So said that, um, you know, I could have her. And um, so that's it. Mabel's with me for life now. Mm. Um, she goes everywhere with me. She comes to the pub. 
She's more, this, this meerkat has got a better social life than most people I know. She's in the pub four nights a week. She comes to restaurants. She goes everywhere with me. Well, Mabel, you're a star. Do you want to hold her? You're a star. I'm going to decline that. <laughs> I'm going to decline that. Not because I don't want to, because I've got other stuff to do on the show. But I want to say, Jodie Marsh, first time you've been on telly for six years. Yeah. Great to have you on. Thank and, you. And I know that you've been following me on Twitter for years. I'm following oh, you. I'm a big fan of yours, Nigel. No, I know. I'm very flattered. And you've promised you'll come to the farm. So this is on TV now. So everyone's heard that. So you've got to come to the farm. I'm not going to say no to Jodie, am I? <laughs> no, it ain't going to happen. It'll be too difficult. <laughs> Thanks ever so much for joining thank us you. on Talking Pines. And Mabel, thank you too. Thank you. Okay, I've got a couple of minutes left. It's time for Barrage the Farage. Here goes. Miss Nick asks, is the looting raid which occurred in Oxford Street going to become the norm? You know, I am worried about lawlessness. I showed you some lawlessness earlier on, where immigration officers about to remove two illegal suspects from a restaurant in Manchester were stopped by the police. Looting raids, I've heard way, way too much of this stuff going on. We have a problem. There is a breakdown, a much more serious breakdown of law and order in this country than anybody in those magnificent buildings behind me ever cares to admit. Jeff asks me, is it actually necessary for an MP to be on Twitter and how important is this? Jeff, I want to tell you this. I would never, ever, ever have been able to turn UKIP, which was a grassroots pressure group full of very passionate and, by the way, very decent people. I could never have turned it into a major political party if it hadn't been for social media. In particular, for me, it was YouTube. It was my helpful contributions in the European Parliament that used to get very large numbers of people watching it on YouTube. And then, because of the big numbers I got, then the BBC had to cover me, whereas before, they were doing their very best to ignore me. So, I think politicians that ignore social media are making a mistake, even though the social media giants effectively do, in, do actually shadow ban most people with conservative opinions. And finally, Ian asks, do you believe that people will trust Labour if the Tories are not believed that they, that, that, that they can't resolve the immigration problem? I have no idea what Keir Starmer will say on immigration. I suspect very little. But here's the difference on that one issue. We voted Brexit, above all, to get back control of our borders. Boris got a huge majority in December 2019 because people believed that would bring back control of our borders. This one really, really can hurt them. Enough from me. Enough from Meerkats.